What's good, everyone? My name is Jacob Moses, and welcome to the Peep the Ten podcast, a monthly podcast where in each episode, Janine and I chat with a 10 fish advocate to ramp up our 10 fish knowledge, hear stories from across the 10 fish supply chain, and most important, boost our never-ending love for the humble 10 fish. In this episode, we chat with David Nemanis. Now, people deep in the 10 fish media may know David's writing. Peep Scout Canning's excellent blog or the heated publication co-created by the Mark Bittman, and you'll find several fascinating bylines from David, all of which I recommend you peep in the show notes below. In this episode, however, we show love to David's latest gig, Cueva Nueva, the most dope conservist club in the game right now. My man David straight up samples 10 fish from around the world, curates the products he thinks will most intrigue his customers, and ships those bad boys all around the world, even my humble college town in Denton, Texas. It's a great story, y'all, and I hope you enjoy this episode. David, what's good, man? How are you? Doing well. How about yourself? We're kicking it. Janine, what's up with you? Just kicking it as well. Nice. Doing pretty good. Janine, are you in New York right now? I sure am. First first trip post pre whatever COVID. Like wow. Pretty exciting. Little fun, little work. That's great. And David, how's how's life in Pittsburgh? I'm actually in New York as well. I moved down to Brooklyn a, a couple months ago, but I was in Pittsburgh prior to uh, moving to Brooklyn. Okay, fantastic. Well, before we get into all the goods of the work you're doing, I think uh, congratulations are in order. I'm I'm not a subscriber to the Pittsburgh Business Times. So they hit me with a, a dirty paywall, but I understand that last month you were an award winner of the publication's 30 Under 30 Award. Congratulations, my friend. Thank you very much. I, I feel like a fraud since I don't live in Pittsburgh anymore. Uh, <laughs> it is what it is. And yeah, that, that dirty paywall is is awfully dirty. And once you pay to get through that wall, your email inbox will never be the same again. So you know, just, just take their word for it that I'm there. Yeah. The, the Dallas Business Journal does a, a three times a day newsletter as if the economy is like, I mean, maybe it is updating that much, but it seems redundant at times. It's a lot. Mm -hmm. I think it's kind of like the 22nd rule when you drop something on the ground. If you've lived in a place within two years, I think it counts. It's fine. Yeah. (laughs) Left your mark on Pittsburgh. It's good. Um, Well, David, we know you're messing with all sorts of cool stuff. Of course, the Cueva Nueva um, Conservice Club, which we're going to talk about later on the podcast. But I want to start with helping listeners um, get an understanding of just who you are um, as a person, speaking specifically to uh, the day job. What Tell us about uh, 412 Food Rescue and the, the kind of work you do over there. Yeah, so 412 Food Rescue is a Pittsburgh-based organization. Um, we're a nonprofit, but also a tech company. Mm-hmm. And we were created as a direct result to the fact that 40% of food that gets produced goes to waste, while approximately one in seven Americans are experiencing food insecurity. Um, so this is obviously a huge 
comorbid problem. And what we've done is we've developed technology that connects restaurants, catering companies, um, grocery stores, whatever it may be. Um, and when they have excess food that is still perfectly edible, but you know maybe expiration dates are nearing, whatever it may be, um, they contact us. We connect with one of our nonprofit partners that supports people who are food insecure. So, you know, think homeless shelters, um, low income housing sites, that type of thing. And sure. then we publish these rescues in our mobile app called the 412 Food Rescue app or our national brand is Food Rescue Hero. Hmm. And the way this works is super similar to DoorDash or Uber. And you pop open the app, you see a map of your city. Um, and you see an available rescue. So it might say, um, head over to this restaurant between 1 and 2 p.m. And you swing over there, pick up the food, and then it directs you to the nonprofit that you're serving. And it connects wow. with navigation software, all of that good stuff. And you kind of uh, just snuck in 45 minutes of being a good person during the middle of your day. Wow. That's incredible, David. How, how long has 412 Food Rescue been at that? How long have you all been around? We're coming up on six years, so it's six come years. a long way. The mobile app's only been around for about three years, so that was actually prior to my time working with 412 Food Rescue, where everything was very grassroots. Um, it was kind of done through text messaging and Facebook posts to see who could help out when. Um, we do have a couple large trucks as a part of our fleet, and those are for like you know large food distributors. But if there's a restaurant that has two cases of tomatoes, um, that doesn't warrant bringing a uh, refrigerated truck out there. So um, it's a little bit better if somebody drives their Toyota Camry over there and picks up those cases of tomatoes and drops them off somewhere. Sure. I mean, it, look, it looks like your career path, not just with 412 Food Rescue, not just your writing, but now with Cueva Nueva, it's incredibly specific and also broad, but the focus is on the supply chain and what was it that made you get into food conservation and what you're doing in clearly so many different ways? Well, I can say that it wasn't on purpose. Um, so I was kind of all over the map before going down this line of work. Um, I spent a few years as a touring musician and hmm. as touring musicians tend to do when they're back home. You need to find some work. And that typically looks like bartending and waiting tables. Sure. So that's kind of how I got into the food side of things. And eventually, you know, wanted to get away from that career path, ended up finding my way from Buffalo to Pittsburgh and worked a little bit in tech, wasn't really fulfilling, you know, what I was looking for. It was looking for something a little bit more meaningful and being a, a very food curious person, um, I became very interested with 412 Food Rescue, did a little bit of volunteering for them. And then uh, the, what kind of was the perfect position opened up for me that was a mix of my skills um, and aligned with my ethos and went for it, ended up working out. And uh, it kind of led me to a place where I think I view food different than I did before. Um, hmm. I think I just became, I've become so aware about how much we waste and how much we waste needlessly. And not unlike a lot of people who get into, you know, tin fish, um, that kind of stemmed out of a extended visit to Spain and Portugal and just realizing that this is such a cool type of cuisine and such a cool way to eat and that there's, you know, bars fully dedicated to just eating conservas. And 
it just kind of aligned with everything that I was vibing on at that point in time. I liked the way the food tasted. I liked the culture around it. And the fact that there was such minimal waste in, you know, the life cycle of a tin of fish was something that got me pretty jazzed. And your tin fish writing has just blown up, David, I guess, and as much as a tin fish writing sphere can. I mean, you're in Heated, which is a medium publication. Um, it has some notes here from Janine that doing some guest writing for Scout. What was that transition like? Of course, you know, you had your ethos, you had your observations with your work at Food 1-2 Food Rescue. What got you into the writing game? Um, so I was, when I first moved to Pittsburgh, um, I thought I was going to work in the art scene. I had been working at a restaurant in an art museum in Buffalo and was really infatuated with being in museums. And when I first got there, I wanted to meet inspiring people in the art industry. Um, so I figured what better way to meet people than write about them. Sure. So I began, you know, doing interviews, um, writing for some local publications Next thing you know, I found myself writing about some, you know, restaurateurs, some people in the tech industry, kind of all in this entrepreneurial spirit where I think, you know, entrepreneurs and artists are kind of similar in that they're both creating something that never before existed. And I was out to dinner with some writers for um, a publication I had been writing for at the time that was focused on the tech sector and the uh, editor for that publication also was one of the editors at Heated and it kind of came up. We were having some conversations that I should write for them. And if I had any good ideas, throw it their way. And this was when my, my tin fish um, habit, if you will, um, became a big part of my life. And it was kind of the obvious choice to write about. And I ended up writing that article kind of blew up. And from there, it seemed seemed kind of uh, irresponsible to not strike while the iron was hot and just kind of kept doing it. I'm so jealous, man. There's a, I think a Kurt Vonnegut quote, I'm going to butcher it, but something like every writer just secretly wants to be a musician <laughs> and how they're content with writing, but all they really want to do is be on stage and play music for the world. And you've got to do both, man. That's right. I, I suppose that is one way to look at it. And I, uh, I maybe should uh, read some more Kurt Vonnegut to <laughs> It's a lovely series of, of short stories. Good little, good little book. Portland. We'll take that one off. I'm interested here. <laughs> um, so it started with the heated piece. I know that bad boy blew up. I'm seeing hundreds of what Medium calls claps. <laughs> Not a few other guest posts. And then you refer to striking while the iron is hot. Ended up creating a... Uh, Conservice subscription service. What was that process like? That just that that transition just baffles me, but tickled by the fact that you pulled it off. Yeah, it was. I don't know. I think a lot of this kind of stemmed from a year of COVID and being in isolation and having a lot of free time. So I think what ended up happening is I did a few articles on the subject, and suddenly I was becoming, you know the canned fish guy. Yeah. And I had a lot of friends, strangers, readers, whoever it may be, reaching out directly to me asking, you know, what should I buy? Where should I buy it? When I do buy it, how should I eat it? What should I drink with it? And I was finding a lot of these 
questions. And, you know, I kind of kept directing them to the usual suspects on the internet that can provide you with good products. Sure. And then it kind of dawned on me. It's like, you know, I could do a little, a little side hustle with this. There might be something here. And at this point in time, you know, I, I've launched Cueva Nueva. We've only done a, a few packs so far, but with it, it's kind of more of like an educational component and less of a, a business. I refer to it as a project more than a business. Sure. Um, just because, you know, it's, it's not a big money maker or anything like that right now. It's more so just a way for me to, you know, kind of expose people to this cuisine and kind of nerd out over it with others. So David, I think this is going to be a reoccurring question because I like it. <laughs> What's your favorite tinned fish and beverage pairing? And it doesn't have to be alcohol. It can be. Yeah, for sure. So I think my answer to this is going to be incredibly boring. Um, I think that the ideal beverages for tin fish are typically something that is neutral and bubbly. Mm -hmm. So I really like sparkling wine, um, seltzer water, and more often than not, I like to just have a nice cold beer, a lager with uh, something that I'm drinking, something that's not too flavorful or hoppy. Um, and then, you know, just for nostalgic purposes, I do love eating, you know, traditional Spanish conservas with a glass of sweet vermouth with an olive in it as well. That's always fun. Um, but yeah, I mean, nice. I, I'd say maybe seven times out of 10, I'm, I'm doing a cold beer with, with my tin fish. Delicious. Refreshing. Janine, are, are you in the vermouth game? I'm definitely about the vermouth life. We, I, my past life was in spirits. Yeah. And as, as far as I've gotten from that, I keep circling back because, um, you know, the education, the experience and the amount of knowledge that I have, uh, I would love to, and we plan to bring in vermouth, sherry and port. So not spirits, mm. not wine, not beer. Uh, we'll definitely go the Spanish Portuguese route. Um, maybe some Amaro have some really great domestic and an international Amaro being made new and old. Uh, nice. Yeah, currently no, but definitely love a good vermouth and soda. I, I've yet to mess with the, vermouth life but this is like the third time a guest has referenced that beverage in particular when discussing pairings i, I feel like i'm behind but also you know inspired it, it's kind of funny actually especially mentioning amari and such as well um that's kind of like my other thing that i like to write about is amaro and some you know seemingly old school um libations hmm. and I did a whole article for Good Beer Hunting on what I called the rise of grandpa drinks. And it, <laughs> it, it sort That's of good. is. I love it. it. It's this cyclical culture of sorts, how, you know, trends kind of skip a generation, how you don't want to do anything your parents do, but things your grandparents did might be kind of cool. Like things your grandparents oh. were wearing when they were in their 20s or 30s. You know, you look at old pictures and you're like, hmm, grandpa was pretty styling. Um, so I, I think there's a lot of that notion going on right now. And in there, you know, I talk about, um, the, the rise of lager culture kind of coming back, um, Amaro talk about, you know, little bottles of Underberg that you may see around hmm. bars. and then, uh, vermouth culture in Catalonia specifically, um, that's, was kind of a crazy one because what ended up happening is there was this culture of drinking vermouth 
with, you know, tin fish and tapas and going to vermouterias and, and just having, you know, this little glass of vermouth with an olive in it, normally stuffed with a little anchovy. And that kind of just got relegated to like the old man bodega drink. Huh. And then eventually, you know, young Spanish hipsters started picking up on it. And now you go to a vermouteria in Barcelona and you're bumping elbows with some older men and, you know, their driver caps who've been doing this for a very long time. And then you're bumping elbows with, you know, some young hipsters uh, that are doing this kind of for a new reason. And it's, it's wow. a cool way to sort of keep that culture alive. And it's definitely spawned to, to really boost it up. I mean, there's a lot of new distillers and new, uh, you know, people making fortified wines in that region that are attracting more to a younger demographic. Um, but I think in the U S it's sort of been slow to pick up because if you go to like a normal liquor store, there's normally pretty lousy vermouth around. Hmm. Is that your experience as well, Janine? And it's not refrigerated at bars. Oh. That's problematic as well. David, let's talk about the Cueva Nueva subscriptions. Uh, I got your site pulled up right now. Um, it, it's just lovely. I know you have a tech background. And I don't know if you also did the web design here, but it's just so beautiful for the tin fish fanatic and newcomer alike. Got some cool boxes here. I see the Voyager pack, fishies only, bivalves box, sea freaks. What's going down in, in these subscriptions? What are we messing with? Yeah, so I have four offerings on there right now. And thanks for the, the compliments on the web design. I did do it myself. I'm not very well versed in web design, so I decided to keep everything as simple as possible. It works, man. Uh, appreciate it. I think that's why it's so good. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, so leave out the bullshit. Exactly. But uh but yeah, the Voyager pack is is sort of like the standard sampler pack so you're getting a little bit of everything um really kind of trying to you know traverse the water column and really just get a breadth of different species from different areas of the world um mm. there's a lot of people out there who can't eat bivalves unfortunately for those people um whether it's you know shellfish allergies or any religious reasons um and I wanted to do a fishies only box for people that, you know, only wanted to have finned fish um, as a part of their packages. And then naturally I did the bivalves box for kind of the more sustainable sustainability minded folks. Um, I think that bivalves might potentially be the most sustainable harvest we have at sea. Mm -hmm. uh, you're essentially, growing these species and harvesting them and they require zero inputs, no feed, no fertilizer, um, no, no water, no antibiotics, none of that. And they're cleaning the water while they're at it. So it is a, a very sustainable way to harvest food. So I do like to put an emphasis on there. Um, what I did learn the first time I did a, a Cueva Nueva box, and that was for the pilot, that was before it was actually a subscription, was that with these boxes, they're in a price range that um, I'd say is pretty accessible for what you're getting. Sure. Definitely a solid value, but I definitely, totally. it requires, you know, excluding some very cool products. And that's where the sea freaks thing came into play because I knew there were nerds out there that really wanted to get into some of the unique stuff that, you know, costs more money and for understandable reasons, a lot of these times. Um, so the sea freaks is kind of for the, the conservist connoisseur that, you know, 
wants to go a little bit above and beyond what is being offered in the other boxes. I'm so excited for totally. my, it's like my Rick C James. Freak box. Super freak, C freak. <laughs> think you found your tagline. Songs just always play in my head when I think of things. I, I love it. <laughs> found the Cueva Nueva corresponding jingle. <laughs> it works. Um, David, what have folks' reactions been to the the boxes so far? I know you start off as a pilot. I imagine it went well because you ended up producing a a full out subscription service. How how are people reacting to it? So far, so good. It's been pretty awesome, honestly. Um, the pilot was one of those things that when I did it, it was, you know, a lot of friends and family that were supporting it, which was very much appreciated. Um, yeah. A lot of people in my circle that maybe wouldn't have eaten this food otherwise that had good things to say about it. Um, and then I collected some feedback from all of that, really gained some insights as to what people were looking for, what they weren't looking for. For instance, um, it, it really taught me to do the best I can to stock things that, you know, you're very unlikely to find at your supermarket um, because mm. there's kind of no point of it at that point in time. Sure. Um, and then what was really neat is when I launched with the subscription, um, I decided to do, to do it quarterly just as some, it kind of seemed like the pace in which people wanted to receive their shipments. Um, so I decided to go quarterly with the subscription and it was really neat because when I launched, um, a vast majority of the subscribers were people I didn't know and from places I've never been. Um, wow. What a cool moment. So David, how do you procure the, the, the products themselves? I mean, it, it seems like the, the 10 fish folk, you know, they're always trying to kick it with people on Instagram. I'll, I'll holler at wild fish. They'll say, what's up. I'll show some love. But I don't think that means they're going to be opting into my subscription service. What what's it? What was that process like? Yeah, I, I guess basically I, I sort of started reaching out to different players in the game, um, seeing who was selling stuff online. You know, talking with um, the Caputos and, and getting some intro to different um, players in the space, and, and just getting an idea of how the business worked. And some people were just really kind to you know, give me their time. Cool. Um, and it, honestly, Instagram is an amazing tool. You can get in contact with so many people via that platform. It's kind of insane. It's nice, um, man. It's it's super nice. So, I mean, like there's so many times you see producers online and you like their product. And generally speaking, some of these companies are only, you know, 10 people max. Sure. So you reach out on Instagram, you get in touch with somebody pretty quickly and uh, just ask who's supplying their stuff and, and find the wholesalers around and um, do some shopping. And it's kind of a nice nod to what even got you started with the tin fish riding. You were describing, um, I don't remember the spot that you were at, but you started off just writing about people who you admired, whether they were in, in music and in tech. And you're kind of doing the same thing here with Cueva Nueva. You've been a tin fish fan you enjoy the product. You want to show some love by helping other people engage with it. It's really cool, man. Yeah, I get a little bit obsessively curious about things. Um, you know, one day you're bringing sardines home and having some friends over to talk about your trip to Spain. And then the next day you have, you know, like $10,000 worth of conservas in your fourth floor walk-up apartment that need to be shown. Wow. <laughs> wow. <laughs> That's right. Uh, feel you. <laughs> a little crazy sometime, and, and I'm grateful to have you know 
a, a very patient, understanding fiance that, you know, puts up with it all. Totally. What's, what's something that you want to procure and it doesn't have to be a brand necessarily, but I mean, there's a whole world of conservatives. Some people listening will know all about it. And some people are just, I know chicken of the sea and I want to learn more. What's something that you would really like to procure um, that's really heavily allocated next to impossible. Like we kind of go along the lines of like the, the eels, those beautiful little spindly eels from Spain. But is there something that you haven't been able to find that you'd like to, whether it's actually a product or not? What are your uh, thoughts? I, I think that maybe I haven't done enough of these that I've totally run into that. I do actually have a, a kind of funny story is when I first moved down here a couple months ago, you know, I'm sure you've seen a lot of word about Goyumar and their products that they've been yeah. doing around Char Grill, all their products in Asturias over looking at the Cantabrian Sea and, and can it right from there and put out these outrageous products that have been pretty hot right now. Um, I didn't really know how to get their product. And then one day I found their wholesaler, who is actually a wine wholesaler. Huh. And they are about a five minute bike ride from my apartment. So that oh. was great. Um, <laughs> so, so that was one of those things that seemed very difficult to procure and then became very easy. As far as other things go, there's some like interesting brands of, you know, even, even something like a classic Portuguese sardine. Um, for instance, a lot of people out there right now love Nuri sardines. Um, and those are, strangely difficult from a wholesale perspective. Um, and then there's actually like a whole world of products in Japan that I've just begun reading about a little bit more. And as you can imagine, as the Japanese are pretty much good at everything that's pertaining to food. Sure. Um, I guess they're pretty deep in the, the tin seafood game and those products just aren't in the U S right now. And um, to be perfectly honest, I don't necessarily think I'm going to be the person that procures those first. Um, I, I think they're they're probably going to want to go to somebody that can buy a lot more than I can. I don't know, man. You're yeah. you're stacking ten grand of ten fish in your fourth floor walk up. Don't don't <laughs> don't speak too soon, David. We'll see. We'll see. <laughs> yeah. yeah, it's it's fascinating actually, depending on where you're at in the U.S. And considering we haven't been able to travel for a while. Um. We get a lot in Portland, we get a lot more of the Asian market, uh, tinned fish, Korean, Japanese. Mm. So I've noticed being here in New York because we launched our business during the pandemic. So we haven't been able to travel. Um, so it's really interesting to, um, to just hear other people's experiences in terms of access to foods um, that they want to be able to sell. Sure. And I think that honestly brings up an interesting point about the lack of travel. And I don't know if the two of you have felt this way at all, is I think something that's kind of overlooked about this cuisine and something that maybe um, was part of the catalyst for making it so popular over the past year is, you know, you do kind of get this sense of, of travel when you're stuck at home. You know, you can open up a tin from Latvia, you can open up a tin from Spain, you can open up a tin from Argentina and you kind of get to bring this little bit of world travel into your home. Yeah. In a, in a very sustainable way. 
I've seen people's eyes light up. I'm sure both of you have had the same experience. You know, you get a lot of people talking about, oh, tinned fish or anchovies, gross, sardines. But you know what? For the amount of people that say that, I've had people almost start crying. Oh, my grandma used to make this dish. Or, oh, this mm. reminds me. Like my um, my aunt told me a story. I never heard this. She would eat sardines with my grandpa, my great uncle, apparently my entire family. Um, we didn't, we weren't allowed to eat seafood growing up. That's another story for another podcast. But peanut butter, sardines, and pickles on crackers. Wow, fucking delicious! It's so. And I started adding chili crisp to it. Oh, it's <laughs> great. It's so good, but like these stories, people don't talk about these things that maybe they feel like it's shameful. Oh, tinned fish. But you know what? Between all of what we're doing, we're bringing this back. We're bringing it back to – you go to Portugal and Spain, just like David was saying. Jacob and I have talked about this. This is everyday life. Other places in the world, you know, there are so many people that rely on seafood as their protein. And this is a way of bringing it to the masses. And after having a COVID lockdown and people running for their pantry, I mean, we all saw how that affected the tinned fish market. So, mm -hmm. yeah. Not to get totally sidetracked, but is there anything- Do it. Do is, it. <laughs> is there anything that isn't good if you put chili crisp on it? <laughs> oh, man. Let me think. Um, I accidentally dropped some into a glass of sparkling wine I was drinking. That was delicious. Um, <laughs> I don't know. I don't know. I'm sure of something, but I don't know. If you Probably think it's not, because I haven't found it. Yeah, no, that's a great point. It's delicious on everything. Savory or sweet. Hmm. A, little, a, a little MSG and some peppers and you're good to go. Sure. <laughs> I need to get some chili crisp into my portfolio. <laughs> I need enough of it. Okay. Without naming a brand, and you don't have to even be specific, but there are trials and errors in finding folks, I'm sure, for your Cueva Nueva, these packages, right? You have the, the entry level and then all these other – I really think it's so smart. I have not seen this ever. You curated fishies only. I have multiple friends that, you know, can't try things because they're allergic to shellfish and, and different things. So I, just David, very smart, incredibly smart. And then you have sea freaks. Is there um, any experience where you've either sought out or just like you said, Instagram is incredibly, it's crazy the connections you can have. But is there, they're just in a bad experience that you were like, meh, I didn't move forward with this. And you don't have to share or you can share. But I'm just curious, the highs and the lows, the good and the bad. Um, Nothing too negative, honestly. I would say, you know, there's certain products kind of like we were talking about before that are a little bit harder to get. Um, I, I feel for some of the wholesalers um, getting product from Europe, for instance, they're essentially mom and pop shops putting that on boats, going through customs, going overseas, going through customs again. And like that could be a three month process to get your product over to you. So um, I feel for those folks and I'm pretty patient on that side of things and get what I can get, which is also the fortunate part about this model that I'm doing is that um, the customer never knows what they're going to get. So if it's mm. what I intended for them to get, they have no idea. Um, 
But I would say the only like somewhat negative experience is there have been so many generous producers out there that, you know, have sent product out my way um, and wanted their product to be in the boxes. And sometimes just, you know, for what they're charging for it at wholesale and the way I think it tastes or the quality of it sometimes doesn't always align. Um, And it's not really a negative experience because generally speaking, I'm probably still enjoying those samples. Don't get me wrong. Um, It's just, (laughs) I'm trying to give the the, the Quaven away of the customers the best possible experience. Sure. Yeah. And it's a learning curve, right? Like being able to, like, I, I feel privileged a lot of the times being able to taste things next to each other, whether it's, you know, alcohol or, or there's such a, there's a huge quality difference, both David and Jacob, you can attest. And it's always interesting to do a blind tasting if you haven't seen the price and try and guess. Just like with any other product, sometimes it doesn't align, sometimes it, it does. But Totally. Yeah. And I think with certain types of uh, species more than others. Um, but yeah, and, and also like the other experience and why this whole thing works pretty well is that, you know, if someone's willing to roll the dice and try this out for the first time and they discover that it's just not for them, I mean, this isn't going to be for everybody. Um, sure. You know, you, you know, somebody in your circle that would be happy to take your tins off your hands. Yeah, totally. So, I mean, I have so many friends that eat like just pickled fish from a jar. Uh-huh. They don't even blink about trying anything. <laughs> there you go. Which now I do too. <laughs> David, let's talk about the moment that the Cueva Nueva box hits my doorstep, my stoop, whatever kind of household of listeners might be residing in. I open up that bad boy. What am I looking at? I know I'm looking at some delicious tin fish, but what do you hope the experience is for your customers whenever they open up that box? Yeah, I like the way you opened it up because I, I do think of it as being experiential. Um from the time you see the box, you'll see um, that it is a Cueva Nueva box. So cool. you'll have something to be excited about before you open it. Um, you'll open it up. You'll have a little note from yours truly. Beautiful. And, you know, you'll have some stickers, maybe some goodies, maybe a bag of potato chips, whatever it may be. Um, and then you're going to have an assortment of conservas. It obviously depends on what box you order. Um, but like I said, I've, I've been curating these so that there is a diverse range of products. You're not getting, you know, five tins of sardines that wouldn't make any sense. Um, so you're getting a nice uh, selection of products. And in there, there will be another piece of paper that will have, you know, descriptions of each product, um, sometimes sourcing practices, and then serving recommendations and beverage pairings will also be mm. well. Awesome. I, I, kind of, I kind of tried to capture that uh, moment of buying a, a vinyl record. It's kind of not the most practical thing to do. I, I have a nice record collection, but, you know, records are expensive. They, they cost a lot uh-huh. of money. And you need to figure a way for, a you know, a listener to spend, I don't know, what is it, $26 for a record rather than sure. just live happily ever after with their $10 a month Spotify subscription where they can listen to the same record. Uh But you get a whole different experience out of it. You get to open it. You get to look at the, you know, instrumentation on each track. You get to look at, uh, you know, some of the uh, 
photos and extra little tidbits of information. So it, it, it really is um, something that I try to curate in an experiential way whenever I can. Wow. That's that's great. We were talking about stickers <laughs> earlier, David and Jacob. So <laughs> so now I'm looking at um, at the logo because now I'm kind of obsessed with the sticker idea. And David, because I know you didn't spend $200,000 on a marketing deck, and I wouldn't have asked you this question if this was the case, can you explain the darling logo yeah. that Cueva Nueva has yeah. in just, you know, whatever terms you want to? Because it's whoever's listening, Google them now. Look at this. They have stickers <laughs> that come along with. <laughs> yeah. And the only way you can get stickers is joining the club. Just going to throw it out there. But I'm bummed. <laughs> um, Unless, yeah. Or, or, or if you drop me an Instagram DM and say please. Um, and no assholes. Yeah, of course. <laughs> um, but yeah, so the logo, um, my good buddy Riley in Pittsburgh, he has his own brand called Pseudo Dudo. And his brand is totally taken off. Um, super, super talented artist. And we were just kind of bouncing ideas around for a bit. And he, he came to me with some logos and designs and, and this is what he came. I mean, Cueva is obviously cave in Spanish. Um, so you do have a cave in there and with a, a fish going into it. And then you have this old school, you know, French sardine tin with a, a waterfall pouring out of it and a little sardine fork and, and all that good stuff. And it's sort of just this uh, minimalist surrealism. Love it. Shout out to Suda Duda, Suda Suda Duda, Pseudo Dudo, Pseudo Dudo. Shout yeah. out to Pseudo Dudo. Yeah, he's uh, he's, awesome. he's pretty incredible at what he does. Beautiful, um, David. We're in the middle of another round of subscriptions from Cueva Nueva. It's it's about to begin. It's about to launch. Where, where are we at in this process? Yeah, so it's a. Uh... We have sales ongoing for our summer pack. Um, those Got it, are, summer pack. Yeah, so those are going to close at the end of the month, at the end of June. Um, sales will no longer be available. And if you order, what you can expect is second week of July, it generally would be. Yeah, second week of July, um, your, your box will get out and get sent to you. So if you order wow. between now and July 1st, you're in. And uh, you'll have to wait a couple weeks for your box to get there. If you're, you know, a little antsy and you need some tin fish immediately, when you're checking out, there is an option to add on an introductory pack. Um, mm. which that'll be a few extra tins that there will be no overlap with your, uh, you know, summer pack. Um, and those will get sent out a little bit sooner. Um, but yeah, so between now and July 1st, um, subscriptions are open. Once those go away, once those you know close out, um, we will have fall sales coming up very quickly after that for pre-order. Um, the one thing to keep in mind is that when you do subscribe to Quaven Away the Conservice Club, is you are locked in for two orders. Got it. You can manage your entire subscription um, from quavenueva.com. There's a little manager account, and you can cancel anytime after those. Um, two orders. So we do ask that you stick around for, for two of them. Um, but yeah, pretty straightforward. Every three months you get a, a box of, you know, 
about approximately five tins. It's typically anywhere from four to six tins. Beautiful. And a handwritten note from David. Beautiful packaging. Maybe some potato chips even? Maybe some potato chips. Not a Shoot, handwritten man. note. Not a handwritten note. Nobody wants to see that. Bad handwriting. Uh, <laughs> a, a, a typed out note from yours truly. That's all it's, right. It's picnic it's season, y'all. It is picnic season. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. I have I have a guilty pleasure question, David. And I will show mine before you show yours. Um, but because you have so much experience in sustainability, I always like to learn from others in terms of how I eat and what I focus on. Um, what is something that you love, but you have to limit, choose to limit due to lack of sustainability, strong moral aversion to the supplier practices? Mine is avocados. I was born and raised in California. And it is always something that I go for and I love. And I, between, you know, the water usage and deforestation and a lot of other things, I try and remind myself, you know, to not do it. But, you know, every once in a while, if I make up in other areas, I will consume some. But do you have anything that you would like to share that? Yeah, I'd say my pretty, you know, open-ended on just, you know, animal products in general. And, you know, I'm, I'm not a pescatarian. Um, I, I do eat animal products and I'm, I'm pretty mindful about how often I eat them and how often I do not eat them because, you know, I don't need to eat that every day. Um, so I'd say that was, would, would pretty much generally be um, the main guilty pleasure on that side of things. The other one is I got really excited the other day because I was at um, a Chinese grocery store in Chinatown and had to check out their tin fish selection. And they have all sorts of very cool tin fish products, all of them, you know, plenty of monosodium glutamate. And I bought some eel and I it was, it was kanji eel from Taiwan. And I tried it out and it was fantastic super super delicious um and then afterwards i i kind of was investigating to see if it's you know healthy kanji eel if it's sustainable um and i gathered information that it's not that good of a thing to eat but man mm. it's good. that's another one is that weird that I just bought MSG from my favorite spice shop? <laughs> I'm so excited to play around with it. Calyatsins here. Have you been there, David? Been there. Oh, Calyatsins. It is not. the best spice shop. Of course, we can eventually source stuff in Portland, but for the price and the quantity, they constantly have things coming in. And there's always like a special little fruit or vegetable at the front that they educate you about oh, cool. that you can buy because things are coming in from whatever. But Highly, highly recommend going there. I'll have to check that out. But I also do have a, a jar of MSG in my I'm an MSG believer. Jacob, can I ask you the same question? Do you have one? In, Regarding... you're, in te- you're in Texas. Just in terms of something that, I mean, and not in terms of like horrendous practices, but just like something that you're like every once in a while you really crave it and you, it's a special occasion because there's some aversion, whether it's guilt or. um... Yeah. I'll admit that I don't come at it from as much of a 
per product basis as I do the way in which I retrieve the product from my community. So I come from the community development advocacy side before I got into nonprofit housing. And what I always advocate for is encouraging people to live on a neighborhood level. Granted, that's much easier in New York City and Portland than it is here in Denton, Texas. But what I found was that, you know, many of my neighbors, despite having great taquerias slash bodegas a block away from them that sold much of the same product that they could just walk to, take a bike ride to, instead of hopping in the whip, burning rubber, emissions, all that stuff, that they were opting for a, a trip to the groceries. So with the sustainability tilt, I find myself more so advocating for, you know, what's on your block <laughs> and, and sticking with that um, since we have mostly mostly local merchants um, in some of our core pre-World War II neighborhoods here in Denton, um, but also cognizant of the sustainability side in the more traditional sense. I know the avocado game is rowdy, especially with the, the cartels in Mexico um, yeah. taking, taking product from farmers, but yeah, I wish I could just Venmo so the farmers. Generation. Yeah, for real, for real. But yeah, that's that's my take on it for now. Yeah. Or how do we that's... how do we get the product from the household? That's what's great about us, Jacob. You're just whole picture. <laughs> you are whole picture. It's great. I, I, I wish that's, I lived in New York or or Portland. We 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 try to make it happen here in Denton. We were a, a car free household until I got this new gig last year and. You know, we have some great bodegas where you can get, you know, the single roll of toilet paper, you know, a condom as needed and, and a bottle of wine, some some produce even these days. But I mean it's uh it's definitely not a natural lifestyle here in yeah. here in Denton, but we're getting there. Yeah, but without without the diversity of people talking about this from different places, this would be the most boring podcast if it was a bunch of fucking people from Portland, a bunch <laughs> of people from Denton, a bunch of people from New York. Like this is this is why we're doing this, right? Yeah, it's good. Yeah. We got good folk. <laughs> well, David, I understand you got some goodies for listeners if they want to peep these Cueva Nueva boxes. Totally. What's what's going down? So yeah, like I said, we have boxes available through the end of June. Um, And when you're checking out, there will be an area for a promo code. If you type in peep the tin, you'll get 10% off on your order. Hell yeah. And, uh, you know, that makes it all the more appetizing. David, that's such a treat. Thank you. Of course. I I, I ordered my Sea Freaks, I think, last month, and I'm just so excited, man. That's a, that's a lot of patience on your end. You ordered that <laughs> The moment you said it was ready, like I'm about to cop this sea freak. Jacob is, Jacob is patient. This is if, <laughs> like, as soon as someone listens to this, they learn that I am not. And he is, <laughs> he's a patient person. It's great. David, I have, I have a question for you. That's popping up from this. Cause I did not know you had a music background. Wait on me. And I'm going to, I'm going to throw you. So what's your, what is your favorite song? I know that's a bullshit question, but oh my God. what favorite. is your favorite song? Or no, actually, no, wait. What? No, wait. Let me change this question. What is a tinned fish that reminds you of a song? Let's do that. 
Whoa. Whether it's a melody, it could even be a style. It doesn't have to be, it could be like jazz reminds me of this. Whatever. It doesn't have to be a song. And I'm sorry because this is not pre-planned, but I really want to ask this because I write notes like a weirdo during our conversations and it makes me want to ask you questions to pick your brain. Um, I would say something that gets me excited for most things, but also gets me excited about Tin Fish because I listened to a lot of it while I was on that Spain-Portugal trip that kind of spawned my um, Tin Fish interest is I was listening to a lot of the Nigerian artist Fela Kuti. Yeah. Ah, At that point in time, it has nothing to do with Spain, nothing to do with conservas. Um, just happened to be what was, you know, my life soundtrack at that moment. Um, so, you know, if if I'm having friends over, busting open some some special tins and uh, getting the crusty bread out and some some cold beers or something, um, there's a there's, there's a pretty good chance Fela Cootie's coming on at some point. Love it. And if Thank I'm gonna you. if I'm gonna pick a song for it too, I'll go that deep. Um, <laughs> I'm, I'm picking the song Bonfo, B O N F O. Spin it. Shit, we're gonna have to do that. Jay, can we do that magic with this? Yeah, can we get that as the, at the end? Like as the yeah. I, I want to, but then I think about you know the dive bars in my neighborhood that charge cover bands for playing other people's music, and I ain't trying to get peep the tin shut down. <laughs> Fair, fair. We'll, we'll, we'll put it in the show notes. People can find it on YouTube and they can. We don't have a lawyer yet. Jason. No, reasonable. No, Damn not we'll, Can we hum it? Yeah, I think, I think it's a fair use. If we could find somebody to perform it and then play it, then we'd be fine. Oh, we'll that's brilliant. This episode, January 2022. <laughs> <laughs> Some unanticipated post production. <laughs> Cool. Well, David, man, thank you. This has been such a joy. You're good people. You got a great product with Cueva Nueva. Um, if people want to connect with you online, of course, we'll include the Cueva Nueva um, link in the show notes, but just to engage with your writing as well, which is just beautiful. Um, is there a go-to place to engage with the, the content you create? Yeah, you can either email me at info at cuevanueva.com or uh, you can find me on Instagram at Cueva Nueva or at David Nimanus, either one. And um, I'm on there a little bit too much, so I'm going to see it. <laughs> Beautiful. Well, David, thank you, friend. This has been a joy. We'll chat soon. Thank you so much. Thank you both. Enjoy. Bye, David. Bye.